everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the IA Cast. My name is Michael Doeys, and I'm here with Jason Earls. Hello. And Scott Van Gorp. Hello. We have a smaller crowd today. We are trying to get ourselves back on schedule, so we're recording uh, just half a week later than our previous episode. But all this stuff will be starting back up on schedule, and we have plenty of new content to come out for you guys to hear. So y'all will be able to check that out whenever it's available. And we thought we weren't going to have much of a news cycle to go through today, but it turns out (laughs) we do. (laughs) The first story, I think, is one of the more serious stories. And that is reports that the new 2018 MacBook Pros are a little hot, as in they're overheating. Apple does not confirm or deny that they can confirm or deny as usual, (laughs) but they're saying that they haven't heard of this, they haven't seen it in the labs, Uh, which obviously, you know, there's not much they can really say until they investigate, so... Do you guys know any more on this topic? So from what I've read, the issue with the overheating Macs, it it involves the high-end MacBook Pros, so the MacBook Pros with the i9 CPUs. And there was a guy who posted a YouTube video about it. I think he was the one who started this whole thing. I don't remember what his name is or what his YouTube channel is called, but I did I did watch the video. And um, it looks like, from what I remember, it's when you are giving a Mac, the MacBook Pros, a really intensive, like, task to perform. So whenever it's having to speed up the CPUs, it's just, it's getting too hot and it's throttling it down. Which, of course, is not something you want in a $6,000, potentially, pro-level machine that is supposed to be able to perform pro-level tasks and all that. Um, I guess like the trouble with this issue is it could be related to a cooling defect in the machine in the, the actual like physical machine that this guy has. It also could be a problem MacBook pro wide. So any MacBook pro could have this problem. And I don't know that we know the answer to that yet. And of course, It doesn't help when Apple's neither confirming or denying that there is anything to confirm or deny. We don't know if it's a quality control issue affecting all of the Macs or if it's just this particular one or specific parts. I I just wish we had more information. Like Jason said, it just feels like when they build these machines, they make them thinner, lighter, all those things... That's great sounding, but when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I think it goes back to the thing that we've said time and time again, I know on various shows, thinner isn't always better. They're good machines, but I feel like they're packing so much into these form factors. You know, maybe what they need to do is for that i9, they probably need a 17 inch again. That way it would have the, the surface area to cool and work better. Apple just does not want to go back up to that larger size. And I've never been a fan of this well. We're packing more pixels into a smaller area. So it's like a 17-inch as far as screen real estate. Well, no, it's not. It's not 17-inch. So <laughs> that's... You know, when you're looking to do professional tasks, that space means a lot. And, you know, I have my Surface Book that's 15 inches. It's 3200 by 2000 something. I don't know exact resolution. That's so much higher than even the best Retina display on the MacBook Pros. So my opinion is if they can do that there, then Apple can surely do that on their end you know they're they're supposed to be the best media production machines so and i know they have scaling where they double the pixels and all this other fun jazz but um 
I I feel like it's not at that point that we, you know, expect them to be on these things. You know, they they tote good specs on these machines, right? Thirty two gigs of RAM and four terabytes of hard drive space. That's really amazing stuff, but they can't be overheating. So we're going to follow the story closer and find out what's going on because I think that's important for us to figure out because it's, 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 it's troublesome. We need to know. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the market in a year or two on a new Mac, um, you know, for development and all those things. So I want to make sure if I invest in that expensive of a computer, then it's going to be sound. I think what's interesting in cases like this, and I'm sure Michael, Scott, you all can attest to this. When you have something big like that happen, one of the things that tends to happen is one person experiences an issue. And because of platforms like YouTube and, and Facebook and all these other social media platforms and video platforms, a little issue can be taken and blown virally way out of proportion. Now, I'm not trying to apologize for Apple at all, because as I said before, it could actually be a problem that affects every MacBook Pro that's purchased. It could just be something that affects this particular person's machine. Either way, it's not okay, but I do think we, I, I, I do hope that we can all, not just us here at iAccessibility, but I think media in general, take the time to determine what's going on so that, you know, the information gets out there and stuff doesn't get blown out of proportion. But, it, you know, I still know it's going to happen anyway. It's going to get blown way up and maybe it deserves to be blown way up i don't know yet we don't know yet the we don't have enough information i've heard that there's been other reports but is it a small number or is it going to be a big issue now also the thing about it is how many owners of max have the i9 i doubt there's very many of those in the wild yet so it'll be interesting to see as that line comes you know more and more prevalent. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. And that is, we finally gotten our hands on the Shortcuts app for iOS. And it's very interesting to look at this app. It is currently in developer beta. And the only way you can get a hold of it is if you put in a request with the Apple developer site and you get accepted into the test flight program which makes me think it's going to be in the App Store because it's on test flight. Like um, other apps that are similar to that are Apple Classroom for iPad and other things like that. Swift Playgrounds was on uh, the test flight platform, and it's in the App Store. So that's why it makes me think it's going to be an App Store app instead of one that's built in. But we never know. And it's basically workflow. It's workflow that has been changed to have even more system hooks and work better with Siri. So it's very interesting how it works compared to workflow. It, like even your workflows that you make in the workflow app transfer over. So it's a very powerful solution. And I think it's going to really change how we use our phones if we utilize it, you know, because you could tell your HomePod to do shortcuts from what I've heard eventually. Uh, your Apple Watch and other devices. So what are y'all's thoughts on that? I want this. I want to be able to put this through its paces when it's finally released. I've been looking for an app. And yes, I know I could have gotten a workflow, but never got around to it. But since this has a lot of workflow-like things to it, I'm really looking forward to seeing what I can really do with it, what I can get out, out of it. And I think it would just make my productivity in iOS that much better. And I, I think a lot of people are really going to find it to be a very useful tool. I am really excited about it. I don't have the ability to test the shortcuts app at the moment, but I'll definitely play with it when it's available um, but I'm, I'm definitely really excited about shortcuts. 
I don't even have any ideas as to how I can have shortcuts make my life easier yet. And I'm still excited about it. Um, I mean, I just, I, I guess for me, I'm just so used to Siri working the way that it, it has for so long now that it's just, it's, I just haven't been able to really realize it. And I think once I get a chance to play with it, I, I, I really will. I mean, I know Apple talked about it in the keynote, you know, they gave the demo of the, uh, going out for a walk playlist shortcut where it texted somebody and it also played uh, a playlist that you had had set when you were going out for a walk. And I think it was just, you know, um, let's go for a walk. I don't remember what the actual command was, but uh, it, it, it really is exciting. I mean, I know there's people that say, oh, you know, well, you shouldn't have to build your own shortcuts. Siri should be smart enough to allow you to do these things on your own without an app. But I guess the way I look at it is because we have individual wants and individual needs, I think the shortcuts app would probably be the best way to go to accomplish these tasks to begin with. The customization of Siri that a lot of people have been looking for is almost here. I think people need to give it a chance, give it a try, and really see what it's going to be able to do. A lot of people thought when this came out that it would be only working with Siri, but it's not. It's, it's the whole workflow experience. So you can get two shortcuts from Safari through the share sheet. You can get two shortcuts from Notification Center. You can put shortcuts on your, on your home screen. You could put them anywhere that you could put a workflow. The exception is, is that now you can add them to Siri. So it's an even more powerful oh. and integrated uh, use with the operating system. So if I have, for example... You know, in Workflow, I made using the app Transmit. Um, and Jason, I think you'll like this a lot. I can say encode latest video, or I could say get latest video from my camera roll. Encode the video to MP4, or get the latest audio from probably voice memos, latest audio track. Encode into this format. Upload to the website and put this other file as the show notes. So you could automate oh. all this stuff with one My Siri command. I want, oh, wow. If it can do tasks like that, oh. it is totally going to be a game changer. Hey, well, can we have this for the Mac too? Uh, well, you know, we have Automator and AppleScript. We've had this in... Um, workflow. We just this is now able to work with Siri and do a few more Apple integrated things. Now, what I'm excited about is if we're able to add stuff to the gallery. We're not that's not added yet. So, I think it would be neat to be able to send out workflows to Apple to put in the gallery. I'm excited about it. I'm glad to have been able to play with it. And what I intend to do, and we're going to put as many of them on iAccessibility as we can, we will share our workflow, our shortcut uh, recipes, I guess you could call them, with you guys. So if we come up with something cool, we will share it. Now, here's a question. If we do share a workflow, a, a shortcut, and... I wonder if the commands that you use, if it's a Siri shortcut, are shared as well. And if so, could you change them if they aren't quite, say, I don't know, natural enough for you? No, you it speak? will not. It will only share the shortcut. It will not share the Siri component. As okay. far, actually, you know what? I could be wrong because from what I saw, it was in the settings of the shortcut itself where you could pick the Siri words. So I could be wrong. The other thing that's interesting, and this is also why I suspect it's going to the App Store, it's compatible with iOS 11, folks. Really? I had to downgrade to get a repair done to my phone. 
and I went into test flight. Shortcuts was still there, and it installed. It is really exciting, the stuff you can do with this app. It, it's really cool. So let's go ahead and move on to our third news topic of the day, and that is that more Horizon glasses from Ira are shipping. Scott, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I've been subscribed to the uh, Ira community listserv for a few weeks now, and we're starting to see messages where more and more folks are getting their hands on Horizon. More will be getting kits in August. So for those uh, Ira explorers that are waiting for your Horizon kits, be looking for your emails. My understanding is you'll get that. That will contain instructions on how to uh, ship your previous equipment back and how to get your account switched over to Horizon. There was a question on the list as to are we able to do that on our own or if we have to do it through support. My understanding is that support actually has to change the accounts, at least at this time, over from your Google hardware or your Austria hardware over to Horizon. So more to come as more people are getting the Horizon glasses and Horizon controller. If you're an Ira Explorer and you're interested, the Horizon glasses really are neat. So I would urge you guys to look into that and uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next exciting topic everybody who's blind or low vision knows about seeing AI by now well they've added a new feature where you can auto label images now this is a brand new feature I haven't even used it yet because it's like a day or so old and basically, as you ha have images scanned in your camera roll or, you know, on your phone, as I understand it, it can label that image and give you a description of what it sees in that image. That's really exciting. I want to try that out as soon as I can. So me too. It sounds really cool. Can't wait. Now, can't wait. Let's combine two things together, folks. Oh my god. Can you imagine the power of the shortcuts app combined with seeing AI? Oh, wow. Imagine if shortcuts could go through your entire camera roll and auto label each of those images in your camera roll. You know how much time that would save oh, a lot of people? My gosh. Magic, people. Magic. Now, now we're starting to see the power of iOS 12 shortcuts and third-party applications. This is where iOS will shine. Our next topic is also pretty cool, and that is... We have now seen the release of the fourth developer beta of iOS and the third public beta, which for me has fixed the Zoom issue I've had, but it's broken some sound stuff for me too. So uh, at one point it was playing things at a lower pitch and ducking seems to be not working properly for notifications, but um, it's a pretty solid beta in comparison to other years. What? Would y'all agree with that? It's a pretty solid beta. There's just one or two voiceover quirks that need to be addressed, especially when you try to unlock your phone. The volume plays with you a little bit. But other than that, the stability is definitely improved, I would say, over what it was in previous releases. So if you're a developer... Or if you're a public beta tester, you can get your hands on that now. One of the things I can definitely comment on regarding the new beta is it has definitely sped up my phone's boot time. I haven't timed it, but it really is a lot faster. So was my iPad. And there was an issue where 
if you were flicking around your home screen, I don't remember if this affected the iPhone, but it definitely affected the iPad. If you were flicking around your home screen and you flicked to the page adjuster and you tried to flick past it to go to your dock, you couldn't do that. It looks like that has been fixed in this beta, which is nice. For me, when I tell Siri to enable things like do not disturb, it actually seems to enable them, although that may have been fixed in the last beta, I'm not sure. So there are some definite fixes that are really nice to see in this beta. So we're going to go ahead and move on. That's our news for today. And we'll have more next week. Man, we've been ha- we've been uh, covering the news like crazy. There's been a lot of stuff going on. That's what happens when we're away for a couple of weeks. Exactly. There has been uh, some changes and some updates that have happened here at iAccessibility. We wanted to talk about that real quick. We reported on our last show that we are now an LLC. That's very exciting. So we're going to be improving our services. We're going to be looking into new ways to offer you guys good products and services. Uh, There is a lot of stuff I can't share just yet, but we are looking into easier and more accessible ways for you guys who want to get our premium content to do so without having to become patrons. It might be all handled in-house. It may be handled elsewhere. So you'll have to keep checking back for that. So it's very exciting. We'll see what we can do on that. And we're going to also have tech support. And next podcast, we should have that going strong. So you could call in and get help or information about iAccessibility. So Please check back for that. It's very exciting stuff. We have our own phone number. Yay. And we will have our name in uh, the App Store soon instead of just Michael Doeys. So that's really exciting. And we are going to have a uh, few other op- uh, opportunities for you guys to help us out and grow. We are always looking for ways to uh, get money to start our LLC and jumpstart and get moving. So we will be putting links on the uh, main page of the website for that. You know, we're just a young company getting started. So any support you guys can give will help. Any amount that you invest will come back to you in great products and services later. So we're very happy to be here and we hope that you will join us in what we call the iAccessibility community, where our goal is to make success accessible. So thank you guys for supporting us, and thank you for everything that you all have done, the feedback that you've given, and being on the stream. So we, we all always appreciate it. On to our main topic for today, and that is to talk about the differences between the beta programs that are out there. And I'm going to try, I'm going to try my best not to make this into an Apple gripe session, but it might turn into that. We'll see, because we have some great competition here. You know, we have the Apple beta uh, software program, the Windows and Microsoft Insider program, and the Android beta program. Each one's handled by Apple, Microsoft, and Google, respectively. I think everybody on here is familiar with the Apple beta software program, right? I would hope so. (laughs) Right. We've only been talking about it in the news section, so. (laughs) Right, right. Is anybody familiar yet with the Windows Insider program? I know a little bit about it. Uh, I don't know all there is to know. I'm much more familiar with the Apple beta program. So one of the things I do want to mention really quick, though, is I think that you know, while all these programs, of course, are going to have their differences, that they're all good things. Because I feel like you're going to get feedback from users who are trying the beta more so than you might just testing on your own. I would agree with Jason. The more avenues that companies like Apple and Microsoft and Google can use to get user feedback the better. Scott, have you done anything with the Insider program? 
I have not. I currently don't own a Windows 10 machine, but when I do, I will definitely take advantage of that. Apple has always said, don't install these betas on public or on, on your main uh, primary devices. And the reason is, is that they are unstable. They are going to have issues. But the one thing that's different is on Windows, it's on a computer. And, you know, it, there are warnings that you may experience bugs. I don't remember ever seeing, and it could be the terms of service, but I don't remember seeing a big emphasis. Because every time you go to update your Apple software, it says, this, hard, this software should be used on non-primary uh, devices only. And they have a very big emphasis on that. Whereas, you know, the Google and in Windows Insider programs don't. I mean, it's going to have bugs. And there's a few bugs in the latest Windows build that I've reported. And we're going to talk about reporting bugs in the future. Um, but it's quite a bit of difference. And the I would say the Windows platform is probably the most stable next to Google and then Apple's as they go through the beta process. I mean, Google, when they when they do Android, uh, like when they're doing the Android P beta test, the first beta came out in March, and it doesn't come out till September. Now, when they release builds, it's usually once a month or once every few months. So it's, you know, each program is a little different. Windows Insider... I'm not sure they have uh, two, currently two, what are called rings, the bug fixes and slower ring, which is basic Windows updates to, that uh, come out before everybody else, and the cutting edge, the stuff that you don't get until, like, there are features that normal users will not get till the fall. So... It's very cool to be able to try out those new features. And um, so there's two rings. There's the, I am not taking a risk, but I want to get some new stuff early. And then, then there's the, I want to try it, all the cool new stuff now. So what are y'all's opinions of the two different, are the three different beta programs? First off, regarding the messages that Apple gives you, you know, the, 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 the very prevalent idea that you should only install beta software on non-primary devices. I've always had a little bit of issue with that because I don't feel like, I mean, I understand why they say it. And anybody that uses or agrees to use beta software needs to understand that it's not always going to be stable no matter which beta OS you decide to install, whether it be Android, whether it be iOS, Mac OS, and all the other OSs that Apple has, or Windows, there are going to be bugs. But, you know, that I, I think you definitely do need to understand that. Um, I do kind of wish that Apple had these two they probably wouldn't call them rings of course but i, I kind of wish they had an equivalent of that in one respect um because i could totally see where somebody might want to use beta software and try out some features but they don't quite want to try out the the cutting edge betas and i know that some of that can be a little negated when you use the developer betas versus the public, but I feel like that's not quite as true as it used to be. But uh, I, I, I like that idea. I wish all of the big three companies did that. I think it's really cool. Even if I would probably use the, you know, other OS equivalent of the fast ring. I agree with Jason. It's nice to be on the cutting edge, but if you're not so much of a risk taker, it would be nice to have that other, you know, tier, if you will. I think Apple and Google 
would both do well to segregate their betas like Microsoft has done. Uh, and then, of course, you know, one other thing that was mentioned in uh, previous conversations with the community, there's actually a third ring on the Microsoft uh, Insider uh, build specifically for folks in Microsoft. So they're, they're the ones that are truly cutting edge. The rest of us just kind of are there. And there was one thing I wanted to mention really quick about the Apple messages that I'd forgotten to mention earlier, which is that, you know, while I do understand why they display that message, I feel like in some, in a lot of cases, it's kind of unrealistic to expect people to not install the beta on their primary devices because, I mean, I don't have enough money to go out and buy a second iPhone just to test betas. I mean, I could probably get one if I really wanted to. The only downside is it wouldn't be the latest phone. And I just, I, I, while I see the point of testing betas on older hardware to ensure compatibility and all that fun stuff, personally, I would like to test the latest features. So, you know, that that's what I was going to say earlier and never quite finished. And we kind of have a little bit of a different situation from the typical tester because there are accessibility issues in every iOS beta that if they're not reported will not get fixed. And so the typical user that uses voiceover or Zoom would be stuck with problems. So sometimes you have to bite the bullet and take that sacrifice so that, you know, other users out there can benefit. So, you know, th that's why we have beta testers that are willing to risk their devices for that reason. And I, I kind of think these companies should be thankful. But Apple takes this to a new level compared to Google or Microsoft uh, because... I can develop software for Android, plug it up to my computer, and it says, oh, you're running Android P. Cool. Good for you. Apple, you, you try to plug in iOS 12 to Xcode 9, which Xcode 10 is the program that goes with iOS 12. If you use Xcode 9, it says, oh, my God, you're using something newer than I know what to do with. I, I can't help you. I, I, I just can't. So you're, you're out of luck. And uh, same with Windows. If you, uh, you know, you can develop on Windows and it does, it's not an issue. But if you're on the Mac and you try to build an app, it literally says you're building these applications on a newer version of Mac OS than the stable version. And therefore... We are not allowing that in the store. So I think Apple really kind of really keeps their betas separate from production. And I think that kind of hurts them because uh, they have so many issues during the beta. I think that that, uh, you know, Instant on with audio hijack doesn't always work, and there's problems with transmit disk. Uh, they don't allow it to work during the beta. So, um, well, that's panic, not Apple. Well, that was correct. The decision that panic yeah. made. and and Rogue Amoeba also, I believe, makes sure that instant on doesn't work. I didn't know that uh, Rogue Amoeba did the same thing that Panic did as far as not supporting certain features with beta software, which I, as a consumer, kind of disagree with. That's I do not too. Fair. I do too. They they do it because they can't support the outcome of that software on the beta, but they should let they should leave that up to the user in my opinion. But you see a lot of that on the Apple platforms and not so much on Windows or Google. Like I said in Android Studio, it just sees Android P and says, "Okay, fine. I don't care. Just do your thing." In fact, it downloads the SDK and lets you build with it. So it's kind of the differences there between them 
as far as developers go. And reporting bugs varies between platform two. I actually am not familiar with what the bug per, uh, reporting solution is on Google. I haven't seen it on my Android phone. If they even have one, you might be able to do so in the Play Store or you know in, in Android settings or somewhere. But Microsoft has a great program, whether you're in the Insider program or not, called Feedback Hub. And very amazing program. It even asks questions as you use different programs to try to get feedback to make the experience better. And Apple has the feedback assistant, which I can barely get to work half the time. But all of these are very important tools, folks. If you're going to be testing, you better be prepared to report. So do you guys, how do you guys find that you use feedback reporting? I tend to use the feedback assistant. What I do is I will have, you know, based on the prompts, I've sort of developed this sort of report format that I'll, I'll do. I'll do a, um, I'll do a, uh, in the edit field where it says, you know, what is the issue? I'll, I'll be like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll explain the issue and then I'll say, you know, steps to reproduce one, do this two do that and so on. And then something like expected behavior and then describe the expected behavior and then observed behavior, describe the observed behavior. And then I will go ahead and send off my report that way. And Feedback Assistant does kind of help you a little bit in that it does say, you know, what's the feedback that you report? What type of feedback are you reporting? Are you reporting an application crash, um, battery life issue, third-party app, accessibility? Um, and then what type of feedback are you reporting? And you have, like, um, I think somewhere in that list you have, like, suggestion um, and some other things. Uh but it's, it's really up to you to actually write out and explain what's going on. And then I actually have not had a lot of issues lately getting it to work. Um, it does take a while to send whenever they have to send uh, log reports, uh, log files. Sorry about that. But other than that, it seems to be, it seems to be working pretty okay for me for the most part. Um, and of course, I haven't actually had any experience with the other two companies yet because I, I only yesterday decided I might want to, you know, enroll this uh, PC I have into the Insider built. So, have not quite done that yet. My experience is very much like Jason's. When I'm doing feedback reports, I do them much the same way that he does, and uh, yeah, filing those is is not too bad. Uh, and as for the other programs, I don't have an Android device or a Windows 10 machine, so at least not yet. You know, that's a bit about uh, reporting bugs, and it is our responsibility as testers to report bugs when we have them. I think my only issue is with uh, companies that do beta programs, I want to see companies actually get out there and make fairly stable betas because part of the reasons why we have betas is so that developers can test their software on that platform before it comes out. And if there is severe stability issues with that platform, whether they be accessibility related or API uh, related, then that keeps the developers from doing what they need to do to get their app tested. So I, would like to challenge the companies out there to make sure when you release a beta that its core functionality exists and that new things that you're adding or new features maybe have the instability because, you know, it's important for if you're going to give something out, make sure it works because... If it doesn't, then the point of having people install something they can't go back from is pretty useless. You know, Windows has restore points if you make them. Uh, you know, Google and Apple do not. 
I don't believe Google does, but I believe on, on the Pixel, you can actually revert easily, more easily than you could on the on iOS or Mac. Well, the Mac does have Time Machine, and you can choose what dates to restore from when you, when you that is uh, true. go to restore from a Time Machine backup. As far as iOS is concerned, the only real way to do that is, is to make sure that you have a backup made on the day before, not, well, not okay, not the day before, but on the day that you have decided to run beta software, right before you go to install the software, make sure you have a backup. Right. Because that would really be it, I think, as far as iOS is concerned, to, to, right. to, to downgrade from betas. I guess that would be the best way. iCloud backup or iTunes backup, something. Right. And if you're going to do an iTunes backup, I would strongly recommend doing it as an encrypted backup. That way you keep all your passwords signed in. Exactly. Yep. Well, do you guys have any final comments about betas? Uh, I am enrolled in all three programs, but I know, Jason, you're looking at the Windows Insider. Scott, when you get a machine that runs it, you will. You said you are. But what are y'all's thoughts on these beta programs? I know we didn't really cover the Google program very much, but it's more of a preview, and yeah, it's pretty stable. So... What are your final well, thoughts? One of the things we hadn't really talked about yet regarding betas, and again, I'm only familiar right now with Apple's beta program, is they restrict you from being able to write app reviews when you're running betas. And in one respect, I kind of agree with, well, I, I, I understand, we'll say, Apple's stance regarding their betas, but in another respect, I I do think they need to be a little more consumer-oriented, meaning they don't need to be so separated because it's a public beta. It isn't like developer betas, although that program, of course, still exists. But uh, I just, I don't know, I just think that's a little strange. I would agree. I think Apple's sandbox approach doesn't always work for what you want in a beta program. Is it perfect? No, by no means. But, you know, I, I would definitely like to see, like Jason said, being able to review apps in the App Store. If you're going to download something and you really like it and would like to have a nice review posted, when you're running beta, you should be able to do that. Let's take the smart headset app, for example which, of course, is the app that controls the Ambio smart headset. Let's say that I had a problem that was specific to iOS 12. You would think that you should be able to write a review and say, hey, using the public beta of iOS 12, this issue is happening for me. Let's say the headset app crashed even though the Ambios were connected, for instance, which is not the case, by the way. I want to make that clear. I'm just using that as an I'm just using this as an example. So I, I want to be able to be like, hey, running the public beta of iOS 12, the smart headset app crashes on launch. I want to be able to tell them. And I'm sure you could through the app support section of the app store, but a lot of people generally just think about reviews. And now since developers can respond to reviews, it just kind of makes sense to me. So I think for that reason, we should be able to leave reviews. That's a good point, Jason, because app developers are going to be working on getting iOS 12 or even watchOS, macOS, whatever the case might be, updates ready to go so that when these releases go out to the public, you know, everyone will get the, be able to get their hands on them. It would be nice to be able to let them know about whatever problems are out there so that they can be fixed before everybody sees it. My opinion on this is that... My, here's my question. What if you have a beta tied to an Apple that's on an Apple ID, right? But you have a staple device. Can you review from that device? As I understand it, yes. Interesting. I just think I that think. I just think that if you are running a beta, 
you should be able to, to tell the developers what you think of the app in a review. Even if the app's working completely, or if it's not. You know, you should say, I am running the beta, and here's what I'm seeing. You should have that ability to let folks know this is how this is working. You know, that Apple's the only platform that does this, and I feel like we're going into that Apple gripe session again. But I feel like, you know, the review options are there. So I feel like if you're, they're going to limit that or restrict that, just take it off. Just don't even let folks have access to that. Because it's confusing. Like, okay, I can press the buttons, but nothing happens. So I wish they would not limit people's use of the app store and just let folks review and just give their opinions because that's what reviews are. And, you know, sometimes you're just using the betas as on your primary device. It happens. Apple has to get over that. And so as that, you sometimes want to leave a review of, Hey guys, this is an amazing app. Congratulations. Good job. So I think that, uh, Apple is going to need to change to allow for that. What are y'all's opinions on, on that? Well, I completely agree. I think, you know, as I alluded to earlier, part of the reason why I ignore Apple's advice, if you will, and install betas on my primary devices, I can't afford to buy secondary devices for beta use. I just, I can't. And that's not really a criticism saying that Apple devices are too expensive. It's just me saying that's how things are right now. And I still want to do my part, you know, so I will, I will install betas on my devices for the greater good, if you will. I totally agree with Jason. I too will install the beta on my primary device to help the community be better through the software that Apple is putting out. And plus, it forces me to use the new software. I feel like if I were to install it on a secondary device, I might, just, I, I might not even think about it. I might just grab my primary device because it's my primary device. And then there you have me completely not uh, reporting anything because my betas on a device I don't think about as much as my primary. That's a good point. I will say this, and this is my opinion, not necessarily the opinion of iAccessibility or any of these guys, unless they agree with me. Apple claims to be the most creative thinker platform out there. But how can they do that if they treat their developers with a very judgmental hand. It, they say, we want you to develop for our platform, but we're, no, we're only going to give you access to this, 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 and this. And if you're a tester, you only have access to this, 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 and this. And we don't want you developing on your iPad or your iPhone and we don't want you doing this, but hey, if you want to make songs, here is all the plat all of our platforms allow you to do that. If you want to edit movies, you could do that on every platform. If you want to photo edit photos, edit you know anything other than code, they're all behind. But I feel like that developers kind of get the shaft on the. Uh, Apple platforms and I think you know we I feel like Swift Playgrounds is supposed to be a well here's our code uh, portion for iPad so we can't say that we don't do anything but I feel like if you're a developer you or even a tester you're almost in a different sandbox from the rest of the of the users what are y'all's thoughts on that well, and I think that extends outside of developers. I mean, you know, warranty support as well. I mean, 
you've I know some of us in our community have had questions as to, you know, if I go to the Apple store because I'm experiencing this issue with my phone, say, you know, I've got a, a cracked uh, speaker or a, a, a cracked camera lens or something hardware wise just is not working the way it should. Will Apple still honor the warranty with beta software on it? As I understand the terms, they will. They will still cover hardware, but I don't know that for sure. And I think that's a further extension of what you were describing there, Michael, as far as a, diff- a separate sandbox goes for, for beta testers. Well, I know when I brought my phone in for a screen replacement, they said, you have to downgrade to iOS 11. What if my phone had an unusable screen? What then? I mean, yes, I could have done everything with the side buttons and all that and not have to touch the screen. But there are some folks that would need that possibly could need assistance with that. So again, like you said, I, I just see issue with that. And that does not exist for the other platforms. Well, I will say that I had an issue, as you guys probably know, with my 5S, which is when I got my 6S Plus, while I was running the beta. And they did actually give me a new phone, and I didn't have to... Well, it may have been because I couldn't actually downgrade from the uh, <laughs> from the beta because I couldn't get my phone out of that boot loop. But um, I, I was afraid they were going to say no because I couldn't downgrade. Luckily, they didn't. I don't have a whole lot more to add to that, except... I think Apple needs to rethink how they do hardware replacements if you're on beta software. We're testing the software to make sure that when it comes out to the public, there aren't as many issues. There are always going to be bugs in software, whether it's beta or whether it's production build. But just because you're running beta software and you run into a hardware issue where you can't reset a device for whatever reason or you have a hardware defect, beta software should not preclude you from getting a warranty repair if the device is still technically under the manufacturer's warranty or Apple Care. This conversation is definitely making me want to go look at the terms again. While it seems like we're griping, it's really to educate folks. If you get involved in these beta programs, this is what you have to look forward to. So do so with caution and do so with being educated on what you're getting into. You know, the Windows program is a little different because it's an insider preview and... You know, Microsoft still supports that. Google is a preview as well, but they don't make, I mean, there's changes, but you can still take your phone to wherever you bought it and get uh, assistance. It's still under warranty since it's not through necessarily through, uh, I mean, even if you bring it to Google, they'll work on it, but like my insurance is through Verizon, so they handle my uh, warranty claims. And so they just say, is the phone working? Yep, give it here. And so that, you know, and basically the Google beta program is only on a handful of devices. It's not on the vast number that iPhone has because of the fragmented nature of Android only allowing it to be on the Pixel devices and very few others which is another thing about the Google beta program. It's only on a select few. If you're on Samsung, you have to be on the Samsung beta, which is a very short beta each year. You know, something I just thought about on the, on the beta, uh, Google beta, it goes from, I believe, March till September, almost the length of time as uh, baseball. That's pretty awesome. Actually, it's about the time of the actual regular series and, and not including the playoffs. So that's that's interesting. Kind of cool. I love baseball. So, hey. Interesting sports factoid there. <laughs> well, 
As long as, even if your favorite team loses, you still have the comfort of knowing you're running the latest and greatest version of Android. Indeed. Would that be called, I guess, after September? Is that the Google beta off-season? I guess That's... we could call it that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything we do on this podcast is always an outtake. So, you know, we, we like to have fun, too. So, all right. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I just want to say that, again, while all of these companies do their beta programs differently... I'm really glad they exist, and I encourage people, if you do decide to install beta software onto your devices, first of all, have backups, but secondly, report, because that's what these beta softwares are for, to report bugs, test apps, if you're a developer. I really, it really makes me sad to see people who are running beta software just because they want to run the latest and greatest version of the software before anybody else and essentially use it for bragging rights. Because I do try to report stuff when I see it. I would agree. While it's nice to have the shiny new software, it's just as important to report what's not working so that future improvements can be made before everybody else gets their hands on it. And it doesn't matter which beta program you're a part of. And be clear in your reports. You know, a simple it's not working is probably not going to be enough information to help anybody make any real changes. I am actually very thankful for the Microsoft Insider Builds. It has allowed me on my new Surface Book, which was my pick of the week last week, to use a new feature with Magnifier that allows me to use the computer better. And so, at least on the Windows side, there are crazy accessibility improvements that are happening. And some on the Apple side, too. And definitely on the Google side, with the... Um, select to speak and other areas that are being added and it's just amazing the kinds of things you get to see in these betas but if you go and elect to be in the beta and see these shiny new things help the folks out making these things so they can make them even better and report stuff and if you're a developer test your apps don't let that beta time go to waste make sure you release at your update cycle after the beta goes live as production make sure it's working make sure it doesn't crash at boot or you know that it works correctly and sometimes that involves getting if you're a developer is getting those devices i didn't know that my apps wouldn't work on the iphone 10 until i bought an iphone 10 so for developers, we do have to kind of shell out that extra money if you want your apps to look professional and useful. So uh, all, of that, all of that is very important. So that's going to do it for this episode for this week. So as usual, uh, we're going to start with our picks of the week and our contact information. So Scott, what did you pick for this week and where can people find you online? My pick for this week is another in a string of food delivery apps that I've been working with. And it's called My Town To Go. It has a lot of restaurants that may not be on some of the other apps like DoorDash or Grubhub. Uh, for instance, Firehouse Subs was an, uh, a restaurant that I ordered from uh, just this weekend. And it wasn't on Grubhub, it wasn't on DoorDash, but My Town To Go did have it, and the food was absolutely incredible. Uh, it is available for iOS. Uh, may also be available for Android, not sure on that one. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at scott at iaccessibility.net. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Van Gorp. And you can search for me on Facebook. Just search for Scott Heidi Van Gorp. Jason, what is your pick and where can people find you online? For those of you who have been listening to the stream, <laughs> you'll know that I've been having some weird iCloud issues. 
One of them is my contacts are not syncing across all my devices properly. So I was looking for a nice way to export all of my contacts as a vCard so that I could get rid of them in iCloud and then re-import the, the vCard. In my search, I found a nice app called My Contacts Backup. It's an iOS app. It is free. It does have in-app purchases, though I do not know what those in-app purchases gain you. I was able to, for free, tell the app to export my contacts. It brought up a, a sort of a share sheet that let me choose how I wanted to receive my contacts, and I was able to have them emailed to myself and re-import them back into iCloud, as far as I know, successfully. Although I'm still dealing with iCloud issues, but that's unrelated. Um, I will say that the application does make it a point to tell you you need to choose a destination for these contacts because we do not keep them. Um, they don't quite say it like that, of course, but they did say something to that effect when I was when I was doing the backup. So that really seems to uh, have helped me with my contact situation. At least now I'm not afraid of losing them all. <laughs> um, so as far as where people can contact me, you can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at jason at iaccessibility.net. You can follow me on Twitter at jde91. That is Juliet Delta Echo 91. You can also search for me on Facebook. Just search for Jason Earls. My pick appeals to the sighted and low vision tech enthusiasts out there. And that is a device called the Nintendo Switch. I picked one up a few, about a week or so ago. And... I love it. It is a very neat device, has some very cool titles, and we did an unbox cast of that, and it has games like Rocket League and Doom and Mario and Zelda, all the good titles that you expect on a Nintendo console. So this system is about $300, and I got the warranty on it, so uh, I got all this from GameStop. And... It's a really neat system, and it can be a handheld tablet with uh, game controllers called Joy-Cons, or it can be a console that you plug into a dock that hooks up to HDMI to a TV. Either way, it's amazing for traveling. So instead of having to bring your Xbox One on a trip with you, like if I go to NFB next year, I'm bringing my Switch and my gaming laptop. So... Amazing stuff in a small, very powerful package. I'm really impressed with the Switch. Really cool stuff. So uh, Nintendo Switch is my pick for this week. And you can also find me producing content for iAccessibility. My name is Mike Doeys on Twitter. You can follow me there. If you want to find me on Facebook, you can. Just search for Michael Doeys. You can email me at mikedoeys at iAccessibility.net. That's M-I-K-E. D-O-I-S-E at iAccessibility.net. And you could find me all over the web and on my website at michaeldoeys.com. If you want to get a hold of iAccessibility, you can go to iAccessibility.net. We are iAccessibility1 on Twitter. If you want to find us on Facebook, just search for iAccessibility. We have our iAccessibility app and we have ourselves in all the major podcast platforms out there. Uh, maybe even sooner or later, Spotify. So keep checking back there. But uh, just look for IACast in your podcast program of choice. And even the Echo may be able to find us if you say our name just so that she can understand. Uh, we have all of our premium content at patreon.com slash IACast. So if you're interested in our outtakes and our full-length episodes and our other premium content, maybe even our IA Unplugged podcast, patreon.com slash IACast. So check that out there. We're all over the web on Tumblr and on a lot of other social media places. So just Google search us and you'll find all kinds of information about iAccessibility. 
We have all kinds of changes, like I said, at the break coming up, and we're very excited to be doing this podcast. We want to thank everybody on the stream for sticking with us, and we will be back next week with an all-new episode back on schedule for once. Yay! We're, we're starting back on schedule this week after convention season, so we will be get, bringing you content on our regular schedule now. So thank you guys for being patient with us. We still have a lot of content to put up. Uh, we have interviews and all kinds of stuff, so uh, keep checking back for that. So I want to thank everybody on the stream and everybody, all of our listeners on iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else for being part of this uh, podcast. And uh, thank you, Jason Scott, for being here. Thank you to all of our editorial teams. Uh, you guys are wonderful, and we really appreciate what you do. So thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Copyright 2018, iAccessibility, LLC.